Welcome, a listener, to another episode of Spam, 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 Humbug. This is episode 106 of the podcast, and we have another great discussion lined up for you. This week, Linguistic Dragon joins us again. Always good to have him on the podcast. And we tackle the topic of abstraction, the simplification of complex systems, and why it's so important that abstraction is a component of game design. Also, do have a few shout outs and the like uh, in particular two new patreon patrons brickbat and penteus pedalici thank you both for your support happy to have you and as always of course if you out there good listener would like to back the podcast you can do so patreon.com slash ultima codex we also have a bunch of new ultima dragons to welcome this week at least on facebook and google plus on Facebook in particular, to the UDIC group there, we welcome Sean, David, Bridget, Charles, Matthew, Arthur, Adam, Jonathan, Eddie, Matt, Stuart, Sven, James, Michael, David, uh, another Michael, yet another Michael, James, Jean-Stéphane, Greg, Bill, Russell, Steve, Ian, Lynette, Ted, Thomas, Scott, and Jeremy. And on uh, Google+, Plus, we welcome David and Michael Splut to all. Also, just a reminder, we are now hosted on Anchor.fm, a new and much more social podcast hosting platform. You can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast and take advantage of some of the community features there. In particular, you can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration, and you can give our episodes applause. And if you're listening in the Anchor app on iOS and Android, there may be other options to engage with us as well. For those of you who do the smart home thing, you can find us live on Apple HomePod. Try saying, hey Siri, play the podcast Spam, 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 Humbug. And we should also be available on Google Home. So... You can also try saying to your Google Home device, Hey Google, play the podcast Spam, 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 Humbug, and see what happens. And of course, as always, this episode of Spam, 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 Humbug is brought to you by our Patreon backers. So thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means. And in particular, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thor1, Pascal, Helgraf, Aaron, Arthur, Britannia, Edward, Stirring Dragon, Cranberry, Slegnor, Bruce, Christopher, Gradia, Shamino, and now Brickbat, and Penteus. And now, enjoy the show. How are you this fine day? So far, so good. <laughs> well, that's good. Not been a whole lot of it yet. <laughs> no, no, I suppose not. You've just rolled out of bed. Uh, essentially. Uh, not much different for me, actually. I mean, I woke up a little under an hour ago, quickly dressed and hopped in the car. And, and here we are. And here we are. I don't know about you, but I'm standing in one of the storage rooms. There's lots of network cable and material for making other cables. <laughs> why, do we have so, why do we have so many components for serial cables? Hmm. Anyway. Your guess is uh, as good as mine. <laughs> Artifacts of a bygone age. That, <laughs> that's a real challenge these days. You know, like it's hard enough to get like a laptop with a CD-ROM drive or, a, you know, some kind of optical drive still included in it. But um, seriously, try and get a, well, laptop or anything that still has a serial port. <laughs> the last time I looked, it was an option an upgrade option, well, or like an, an extra charge option on Panasonic Toughbooks. Wow. Yeah. So, for those of you who have to maintain embedded devices, Panasonic Toughbooks. Tough 
Anyway, so that is not, I didn't want to talk about Panasonic Tough Books this morning, but just <laughs> literally staring at like, there's like 50 ends of serial cables here, you know, for like making your own. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, so, um, yeah. Actually, Clortos suggested uh, a quite good topic in the UDIC Discord, which, you know, I mean, I imagine we can probably chew through in. Well, I don't know. We may not be able to do it justice with the time we have, but it might be fun to at least poke around with. Which Let's is concept... find out. Yes, exactly. Um, so this is what got into it is, you know, because uh, we were talking a little bit on the UDSE Discord yesterday about um, just how important is abstraction in an RPG. And I mean... I guess it's important maybe to define, because if you put abstraction into Google, you're going to get a lot of um, different uh, definitions back. You know, the... Some of which are rather abstract in and of themselves. I know, right? Um, so, like, the main definition of abstraction is the quality of dealing with ideas rather than events, or something that exists only as an idea. But the thing is, in computer science, abstraction has a slightly different meaning. Okay, so, you know, in... In sort of the general parlance, abstraction is the main sense. I'm just going by Wikipedia here. The main sense, uh, in the main sense, is a conceptual process where general rules and concepts are derived from the usage and classification of specific examples, literal, real or concrete signifiers, first principles, or other methods. Computer science, though, kind of takes that in a bit of a different direction. And in computer science, when we talk about abstraction, we're generally talking about a technique for hiding complexity. It works by establishing a level of simplicity on which a person interacts with the system, suppressing the more complex details below the current level. So think of something like um, a GUI. A GUI is an abstraction, right? If you want to step past the GUI and into command line, you're going to find out about some of that underlying complexity. And the command line is itself an abstraction. If you want to step past the <laughs> command line and get into the raw machine code, have fun with that. <laughs> no, thank you. But... It also applies in games, too. And the example that I used in particular with Clordos was, you know, abstraction would, to me, seem to be the difference between the very raw and often terrifying experience of surviving in a vast, unknown, hostile wilderness by your wits alone, and the rather pleasant experience of exploring an open world while having to deal with the occasional intrusion of the hunger mechanic. <laughs> Because that's often, you know, that's all, like, I mean, there are games, Kingdom Come Deliverance comes to mind, that purport... Doesn't it usually? Well, sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting title. Um, but there are games like that, which, you know, purport to deliver a more, quote, realistic, unquote, experience. And, you know, even from the reviews I've read, um, Kingdom Come doesn't necessarily manage to do this entirely well. But... You know, like, their big thing in the game was, you know, like, they wanted the combat engine to be particularly realistic. So, you know, the it's not just, well, I'm just going to hit the other guy with my sword. It's like, you know, the swords, they really, you know, um, take the fact that the swords are, or whatever weapons you're using are, like, 3D objects in the game very, very seriously. So there's, you know, blows and parrying and, like, all of this stuff. They really tried to, you know, get, I guess, the physics of the sword fight, um very, very accurate. Also things like, you know, if you get wounded in the game, well, that has particular effects, some of which can be longer term and, you know, can kind of weaken you over time. Um, 
I think food poisoning is a thing. So like, you know, <laughs> you know if you keep food in your backpack too long, right. And then you eat it and it's, Oh, I feel sick. Um, <laughs> so it's like, and on the one hand, like, I guess it's, um, there've been some other like, you know, survival focused games that have, you know, again, like really tried to challenge the, and, and the, the goal almost seems to, um, what was it? The long dark is another one that kind of came up there for a while again. I don't know if it was necessarily like hyper-realistic, but it was, you know, very much this whole idea of, well, you're like, you know, here's a dark, lonely wilderness. Um, see how long you can survive for. And in some cases, it's not that long at That's all. It's not very long at all. <laughs> and, and I mean, like, okay, you know, like I can see that there's, I, I can see that the, the point or the merit of, you know, wanting to, you know, occasionally produce a game that explores these things because these are things that, you know, can in fact happen in real life. I mean, a lot of what I try and teach the youth in scouting is exactly this, right? It's like, okay, well, you're lost in the woods. What do you do? <laughs> but and the answer is not, is pre preferably not panic. <laughs> well, yeah, don't, don't panic, hug a tree. But, um, you know, like it's, so obviously there's a real world case for this, right? Because, you know, this stuff does occasionally happen. Maybe not occasionally. That might be the wrong word to use in some parts of the world. Like this is a very frequent thing um, in, in our Western culture, North American culture, whatever. Maybe not so often. But, you know, this is a thing that happens. And this is, you know, like people do have these experiences, right? Where it's, you know, someone is, is lost or is otherwise, you know, kind of just thrust upon the elements and has to survive by their wits and that doesn't always work out for them but notably it's rarely fun and games are ideally supposed to be fun ostensibly least, yeah you know <clears throat> some outliers maybe but the general concept of a game has to do with entertainment and so we need a little bit i think of abstraction you know we need to um we need a way to, you know, still kind of convey some of the same emotions and some of the same tension of, say, being lost in the woods and having to survive by your wits alone um, without necessarily tapping into the complete raw terror of that experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm put in mind of the old adage that, um, oh, how does it go? Um, uh, that perfection is not achieved when there is nothing left to add but when there is nothing left to take away. Mm. Uh, There's it's, something to it's, that. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's a matter of deciding what it is, how it is you want to challenge the player in the game, what's, what the purpose is, and then kind of abstracting everything that doesn't add to it in some way or another. Um, when, I, um, when you first brought up the topic, my mind went not to, uh, not to uh, RPGs, but to uh, strategy games. In fact, mm -hmm. um, I'm also a rather big fan of the Civilization series. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> and um, I remember reading this article by, um, by a guy playing through his first uh, cultural victory in Civilization VI. And one of the ways that can be accomplished is by, you know, gathering great works of art and music and that sort of thing and stashing them in your... Uh, in your museums and opera houses and all that artistic sort of thing. Okay. And and um, you get bonuses for for theming your your museums and your archaeological museums and that sort of thing. 
So mm -hmm. you get a bonus. You get a bonus if you have like three three works of art of the same type by different artists in the same museum, or or um, artifacts from the same era from different cultures. This is uh, civilization, right? We didn't inadvertently stumble into like some advanced version of Sim City where you're like trying to you know set up multiple museums around town. <laughs> yes, yes, this is civilization we're talking about. Okay, go on. Um, but there's a menu where you can see, you know, all your artifacts and paintings and sculptures and where they're located and, you know, whether a certain museum is, is themed or not for the bonus. Hmm. And the guy making his way through, you know, trying to figure out the system was talking about how do we really need to actually do all the shuffling of all of our artifacts and paintings ourselves in order to get the bonus. The, the challenge for the player is in figuring out what types of works of art or artifacts that you need in order to get that bonus. <laughs> is, it really, is it really add <laughs> to also give them the challenge of shuffling everything around themselves in order to obtain that bonus? You can only win this game culturally if you can tell you're Baroque from your romantic. Goodness. And if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's, oh my God. Yeah, that's that's a place where it sounds like a little abstraction is needed. I mean, like I can guess, I, I guess, you know, maybe like you can kind of stick under like general headers, right? Like, you know, um, we have a dinosaur museum in Alberta, right? So, you know, like there's mm -hmm. an obvious theme. Hey, look, there's a museum <laughs> entirely about like dinosaur fossils. Okay, that totally makes sense. Um, but then we also have the Royal Alberta Museum, which is, you know, everything under the sun, including occasionally dinosaurs. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. But it, it, I mean, like, on the one hand, that's cool. And I guess, too, like, in a way, like, there's a little bit of user as education that goes along with that. But at the same time, it's like do I care? Like I, I have all these paintings. This is, this is the painting museum and that's the statue museum. And that's the, this, and that's, the, you know, that's, I imagine how most users, I mean, I'm assuming the game is going to present to the user, like, you know, okay, well, this is this kind of painting or this kind of artifact. And yeah, so, you does, know, you have some indicators. As to, mm -hmm. But yeah, who, you know, on the other hand of the vast number of people who are going to be, playing the game, how many actually care? <laughs> yeah, the challenge, the challenge isn't getting all of it that you need, rather than figuring out where all of it's supposed to go. Yeah. So. And so adding uh, that extra step doesn't really add anything. It's sort of like, it's like the backpack in Ultima 7, right? The backpack in Ultima 7. And I know, jump on me for saying this, because everybody loves the gumps. But honestly... <laughs> The experience of rifling through the backpack in Ultima 7 was too depressingly like the experience of rifling through my backpack in real life. Where's the key? <laughs> yeah, I know it's in here somewhere. It's gotta be maybe it's under the that thing. I don't know. Where'd I put like... the serpent ring? I know it's in here somewhere. Exactly. And you know, like I mean. I, I get it. I like the gumps too. I like the visual presentation and there's a certain immersive aspect to that. But, you know, like, yeah, the, the U7 backpack, the Ultima 7 backpack, it gets cluttered and it gets cluttered fast. And you can definitely see the appeal 
of especially with when it's one of those damn keys right because the keys in the game are so tiny and they inevitably wind up hiding under like some other larger object and there's so and many of them i know it's like so you know after you've gone through the did experience I use this one the, already is there one that i'm missing somewhere yeah did, was it the pink one I, oh gosh so after you've gone through the experience of like trying to find the right key for like the fifth time in a row and granted like exult kind of gets exult to its credit gets rid of some of this exult you know it basically if you have the key in your inventory when you come to the door you can just double click it and it opens that's a nice little feature that they added but i'm talking base game ultima 7 after you've gone through this experience four or five times of you know just like trying to find the right damn key for the door and it's buried under like the beef jerky in your backpack and it's the same color as the beef jerky so you can't hardly tell it apart you start to see the appeal of list-based inventories. Yeah. Um, so, and, and actually, Shroud of the Avatar, too. Like, I don't know if they still have the gumps. They had them for a while. Um, Sorgorn might have been complaining that they removed them. I honestly, I can't remember. I used the gump-based inventory in SOTA for all of um, one play session. And after realizing just how much of an impediment it was to using, say, the crafting system effectively. Um, <laughs> List-based, list, just list, please, list-based. Thank just, you. Take all of that stress out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for as much, for as much as Ultima 6's inventory management gets knocked, and for good reason, like it's cumbersome in its own ways, um, at least it's not hard to find things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways... It's, it's know, more the again, standard. It's the standard inventory Tetris rather than um, um, oh boy, what's a good comparison for Ultima 7's version of it? <laughs> Literally, it's just like rifling through my backpack after you know <laughs> six months at school. Hey, I was looking for this pen. Um, and clutter like, sorter adventure number seven. <laughs> yeah, you know you could probably. Yeah. Could probably make a really great mobile app out of that but uh, <laughs> someone, someone would probably play it actually i think probably and i guess like that's the thing too is like you know and i mean there are there there is a market for these games that kind of <clears throat> don't abstract away as much but i think you know in the general case and for the general player it's good to be able to take some of these more complex or irksome or terrifying aspects of real life and represent them to the player in a way that you know still maybe tries to convey some of the severity of whatever the particular thing is but you know also yeah, it kind of simplifies it and maybe even in some ways term that I absolutely hate, but maybe it's applicable here, gamifies it, right? You know, even something <laughs> like the hunger mechanic in, say, Ultima 7, right? Because, you know, if you're out exploring the wilderness all day long, yeah, soon enough, you're going to get hungry. Um, and as annoying as the hunger mechanic is, though, it's kind of that reminder that, you know, all right, well, I'm just not this, you know, invincible hero who's able to just wander the shores of this world for days on end without any concerns or cares or what have you um right i still need to eat okay well well that's that's you know. another thing though because you know a lot of the ultimate games have a hunger mechanic they just handle it differently and some of them are more abstract than others i mean ultima 4 and 5 you just have a stack of food that you constantly eat as you adventure through the game and if you don't have any you start 
taking damage because you're starving right. and ultimate six um it's you, food is only important so long as you're resting because if you don't have food when you're resting then you don't heal when you rest yes which again <laughs> so it's kind of like and there's a pendulum swing there right because you know like on the one hand yeah you have games and going back as far as a calabeth right i think or at least you know some of the early ultimas um going back really really far into the if you don't have, have enough food, food you, die. you die and in some cases it's literally like every step you take in the game you are also consuming food it's like basically you have fuel and that makes <laughs> you can only... so handy in ultima 2 because you don't yes. use food when you're on it ah yes that's right so um yeah, and so, like, I mean, and you really have to start treating it almost like fuel. It's like, okay, well, I know I have this much food, which means I can go this far away from the city before I have to book it back and buy more food. Um, <laughs> no wonder Doug, you know, I love Doug the Eagle's presentation of this as being, you know, like food is like the ultimate drug in, in Britannia. <laughs> right? You can't Every, live without it. Yeah, everybody's a food junkie and they constantly need it and they will die very quickly without it from the withdrawal <laughs> symptoms uh, oh boy I, I shudder to think of the uh the rehab clinics for that yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. um food food eaters food, anonymous food. yes and then of course the create food spell came along at some point but um <laughs> I would have to wonder about that. Like, you know, in a, in a Britannia where the create food spell exists, what's the point of being a farmer? <laughs> anyway. Because, um, because what happens if something happens to the ether and all of your mages go crazy? Ah, that's true, too. That's true, too. I mean, it's um, not like that ever happened. No. no. It's not like we'll find some sort of magical rock of a particularly dark hue within the bowels of the earth that happens to inhibit the flow of magic entirely around it. What are the odds of that? Yeah, pretty low, I think. But, but you know, like, go, kind of continuing on with the point, right? It's like, yeah, the first few Ultimas, food is an aggressive mechanic in the game. <laughs> and then you get Ultima 6, and it's just like, oh, right, food. Well, uh, as long as you have, like, a snack around the campfire, you're probably good. And then Ultima 7, of course, that, it's almost like, you know, pendulum swings, right? It's like you have really crazy hardcore hunger mechanic for like a few games in the series. And then they're just kind of like, oh, right. Um, we'll just back it off. It'll be like this thing that barely matters in the game at all. Because it's not like that. The that's the only way you heal, right? You know, you don't, mm -hmm. take, you don't take damage if everybody goes to bed with an empty tummy. You just, you know, yeah, don't they don't get, get the hit points back. back but whatever, you just orbit the moons to Lord British, and well, that's not a problem. Ta-da! And then, of course, Ultima 7 kind of brings it back a little bit towards the middle. You know, you don't have to constantly eat food, but two or three times a day, you know, the companions are going to be like, I could use a little food. I'm hungry. Of course, that very quickly sometimes turns into, I'm starving and taking damage. But, um, you know, the, the, the point you, is... Yolo, why do you have to eat so much? <laughs> yes. Here, have have your third whole chicken of the day, please. <laughs> so, but but you know, like I mean, it's it's more moderate, right? Like it's sort of it still kind of puts it out there, and it still you know captures some of that, some of the challenges that you know would be explorers would legitimately face, but without you know making it uh, completely dire. Oh my gosh, if I don't have this for the next five minutes, I'm gonna wipe my party by walking around. 
Um, well, that's so. the thing with uh, with um, lava in games too. Why are why am I not taking damage when I am standing right next to this big, huge lava flow? Yeah, that's true too. It's like I can. I mean, if I stand on the lava flow, I'll take damage. Although notably, I don't instantly die. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if I'm like right next to the lava flow, yeah, you'd think that I'd still be like getting some secondary burns off of that. Yeah. Especially if I'm wearing like plate armor. Like, wow. <laughs> My entire body is covered in a frying pan. <laughs> why am I not frying? Yeah. Why does this not hurt? It must be magical. Uh, it's magical lava. The oh, that's, only goes... that's, that's what magic plate is for. <laughs> yes, exactly. The heat, only, the heat off the lava only goes straight up. And magic plate has wonderful insulative properties. But, uh, but yeah, again, you know, it, that's another good example though, right? It's like, oh, hey, there's lava. Well, I mean, obviously that's a threat and it's, you know, an obstacle that I have to somehow navigate around, but with none of the other things that lava tends to do, like bubble or flow. Um, or burn. <laughs> or burn things that get even kind of within its proximity. Um, so, yeah, again, you know... A, <clears throat> abstracting away sort of the more raw, terrible, horrible bits of it and just, you know, representing it to the user as, oh, hey, here's a nice challenge. You know, here's something that you have to, here's an obstacle that you have to get around. Um, now that said, the fumaroles in Ultima 6 were particularly annoying. Oh, ah! <laughs> I, have, I have terrible memories of, 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 of those things in Hithloth. <laughs> yes, Hithloth and then on the Gargish realm as well it's just oh hey look there's one of those things that will just periodically explode and wound half my party quite horribly um it's like hey guys or the, uh, or the tremors in the underworld in five mm, yeah quite similar or i'm trying to think if there was anything really well i mean i guess the oh Right, the fire doom staff in ultima 7 uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's a friendly fire incident just waiting to happen literally yep uh it's like oh right i have the fire doom staff um everybody else is now in combat mode flank <laughs> <laughs> stand back avatar is using the stand fire back. i'm going to try fire <laughs> It's like, is this kind of like, is this like a flame wand? Like, is it just shoot like a little bolt of fire? Oh my gosh. What oh my no. <laughs> what have I done? I see why it's called what it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Except, yeah. Oh, so many, so many. Actually, any anything to do with like fire in Ultima 7 tended to end poorly. Especially like, you know, if it was like fire fields or the, the various traps that would shoot fireballs. And then if they accidentally hit some... But that's what made some... it so hilarious. I, I know. It was it was comedic and yet at the same time frustrating. It's like, okay. I'm just going to walk here and oh my gosh, it looks like I just blew up 15 powder kegs. <laughs> whoops. What? Yeah, whoops. And everybody's dead. Because of course they are. Ah. Uh, it's like, hey, we were just fighting a big, or, uh, and it was even worse when you like had the fire doom staff equipped. Well, not even equipped, but like if you had the fire doom staff, you never, ever, ever gave the fire doom staff to a character who had an ammunition based weapon. <laughs> <laughs> because invariably they would run out of bolts or arrows or musket shot. And what's the next thing they grab? 
the staff. Time for the nuclear option. Exactly. Yolo is just painting the landscape with explosions and everybody dies yet again. <laughs> you have to, Why you is have... it always YOLO when it comes to these things? <laughs> I don't know. He's a fun example. I mean, we are called Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, and he was True. the cheat menu in Ultima 6, so maybe that's why. Bars uh, are fun. They, they are. They are. You know, although Barb's de Bards definitely make for good um, for good comedy on the meme side of things, you know? It's like oh my, the, yes. the, the crying flautist, you know, when your party is getting wiped, but you're only a bard. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like the three or four gorillas hiding behind the corner and three of them have AK-47s and one of them is carrying a guitar. <laughs> Bard, his companions now get plus five to hit. It's like, all right, but um, yeah, I don't. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. Just a random, random deviation from topic. Um, that never happens here. No, not at all. But yes, abstraction, and I mean, like, it's even something like you know. Even something like the concept of hit points, right, is is a <clears throat> quite reasonable abstraction from the very ugly reality that is, I just got hit with a sword. <laughs> I just took out a whole squad of Nazis in the hall and got shot three times. <laughs> I, got, I got slashed with a sword. Why is my arm still here? Exactly. You know, and <clears throat> then, you know, not having to deal with all of the consequences of that sort of thing. Um... But I think I think I think when it comes to hit points, there's actually a way a way to abstract it too much, because if rather than giving you numbers, you know, you have this many hit points out of this many hit points total, and instead just go, you've got a lot of hit points left. You only have a little hit points left. That tends to not be very helpful to the player either. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, we can point at different Ultima games that do this well or poorly, like. I mean, I actually liked how in Ultima 9, they more or less just got rid of the numbers, you know, and everything just became a bar of some kind, mm -hmm. right? Your health bar, your mana bar. Um, was there an oxygen bar when you swam? I think there was. Yes, there uh, is. Uh, yeah, like those things. Because, But again, like those were put on screen in a way that was, you know, like it was very well represented visually. So it wasn't, you know, so much of a challenge. Um, I always found the potion bottle in Ultima Underworld a little bit unnerving because, you know, like the first time you take damage, the narrow part of the bottle, of course, empties out. And it's like, wow, I just took a ton of damage. It's like, no, that's just the narrow part of the bottle. Like it kind of <laughs> empties out slower for a little bit. And then, but, um, <clears throat> but like, I didn't find Ultima Underworld's presentation of your health and mana as effective um, a little too abstract. Exactly. Ultima 7, <clears throat> like Ultima 6 and Ultima 7 are also a good comparison too, because like Ultima 6 kind of gave you a both and, you know, oh, so-and-so mm -hmm. is barely wounded, so-and-so is lightly wounded, so-and-so is heavily wounded, so-and-so is critical. Um, <clears throat> and it would tell you this about the enemies too, which was handy. But if you wanted to know exactly what the definition of barely wounded or critical happened to be, there was, you know, a little part of the display that you could click to and oh okay Dupre has three hit points left I should do something about that yeah um, that's critical 
Yeah. <laughs> the number's red. I should probably consider that. Um, Ultima 7, I find, didn't do as good of a job about this because it's kind of just like, you know, if you get hit, your character might flash red. If you get hit really hard, maybe the whole screen flashes red. But, and I'm pretty sure, like, you know, you can, if you pull up the individual character gumps and click through to the stats page, you know, yeah, you can see where their hit points are at. But it's not. But as... you have to go through several menus to do it. Exactly right. It's like, oh hey, um, you know, Santre is seems to be really quite badly bleeding and running away from the fight. I wonder how he's doing. I I I I I I I. There he is. Click on the heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not as convenient just having all of your characters on one screen, like in say Ultima Six. Um, so it's like it's like you enjoy Ultima Six or something. Well, again, and I mean, I, I keep coming back to it because it's you know an easy comparison to Ultima Seven. But this was true in the earlier Ultimas too, right? There was always that little party display in the corner, and right. you could just have a look at it. It's like, oh, okay, everybody's doing all right, or not so all right. Um, and then of course, when they went to this completely um, GUI-free experience that was the later Ultima games, of course. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't an issue with Ultima 8 and Ultima 9 because you didn't really have to worry about party management. But with Ultima 7, it was a real challenge because, you know, at least in the base version of Ultima 7 and Serpent Dial, there was not really an easy way for you to just kind of visually look and see how your party was doing, which is another nice thing that Exalt introduced, right? Because you can get the little portraits with the health and mana bars for every member of the party um, at the top of the screen or the bottom of the screen or wherever you want to put it. So, you know, Exalt is, is wonderful for, you know, I mean... You can just drop the four off of that sentence. Yeah, it's it's wonderful just in general, right? Um, especially just because it does. It introduces all of these little things that, you know, and again, it what it introduces in a lot of ways is abstraction, right? It's like, I know I have the key somewhere in my backpack, and as long as that is true, then this locked door that the key opens, I can just open and I can go through. Um, you know, I know I have a way. I know the game is tracking numbers for, you know, the health and whatever of my party members. Here's a much easier visual representation of it that just puts it all right in front of me. So I don't have to keep rifling through menus whenever I get the sense that one of my characters might be really, really badly wounded. Um, <laughs> things like that. So... I mean, you know, some stuff it made more obvious, right? If you had a player who was cursed or if you had a character who was cursed or a character who was poisoned, obviously they would get the little border around them and that's useful at that point. Oh, that, that one's been poisoned. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> here, have a, have a red potion. But, um, and actually too, like I, I did like that, you know, <laughs> in Ultima, it was just, oh, hey, so-and-so has been poisoned. So now they have a green border around them. And they periodically take damage as they walk, as opposed to, you know, um, although there were things, there were there were a couple of things in Ultima 7 that would make characters actually, like, double over and vomit. I can't remember what they were off the top of my head, but there it's were a couple. It's been a while of, since I played yeah. Ultima 7. <laughs> but, like, you know, in general, it's like, oh, wow, you've gotten some really horrible disease from that <clears throat> infested swamp we just walked through. Well, at least the game is just presenting that as what did Ow, you do? Drink the water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ow, I take damage. Ow, I take damage. And not, you know, making you, the player, have to deal with what's actually probably happening, which probably involves a lot more um, 
loss of bowel control and things of that nature. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> again, scouting, we're kind of, we kind of try and teach people about the risks of just drinking water randomly in the wilderness. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Goodness. It's, and I mean, like I say, like you can argue the point that, you know, some games do well. And, and Clortos was kind of getting at this as well, too. Like, you know, because when I kind of led with, you know, like it's the difference between the horrifying experience of being lost in the woods and the joy of exploring an open world. Um, you know, he kind of came back. It's like, well, what about Ultima Underworld? And it's like, okay, true. But I, I'm sure that if I actually had to, you know, delve into the depths of a of a monster-filled volcano with not but a rusty sword, um, it would probably be a lot more horrifying than the experience of playing that game actually is. I mean, it all comes down to to the audience that you're trying to appeal to. I mean, some right. people like that challenge, like that, uh, that um, difficulty. I mean, it's the difference between a survival game and, you know, your basic <laughs> RPG. Like, I mean, and definitely there was a market, obviously, for Kingdom Come. There was a market for the long dark. You know, like, obviously these games exist. Don't Starve is another one that comes to mind. You know, these games exist because, yeah, there there is a player base for them. And there'd be little point in producing them if there wasn't. Um, but, you know, other players prefer the, I mean... <laughs> Maybe the ultimate example is one I keep coming back to periodically. It's Call of Duty, right? You know, I'm pretty sure that combat is nothing or very, <laughs> very close to nothing like it is portrayed in a Call of Duty game. But equally, you know, Call of Duty is able to abstract away a lot of the horror and terror of a firefight while maintaining the intensity um, <clears throat> and challenge of a firefight. And, you know, like they're able to package that up in a way that's very entertaining to people mm -hmm. and draws in a very large audience and good for them for doing so. Right. You know, <clears throat> there was another one that I was coming to. Oh, right. You mentioned strategy games earlier. And this got me thinking, too, because like, you know, not so much on the civilization side. Well, actually, maybe. But like there are and I can't even think of the names of some of the titles because like these are very, very niche games. <clears throat> but, you know, if you think about something like a Civ or you know, sort of the real-time strategy, quote-unquote. Thank you! Honestly, should be called real-time tactical. I don't know why they're called strategy, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, your command and conquers and whatever else. Um, there is, like, a sub-genre of these things, which is basically, like, you know, Two highly, highly Paradox technical, sophisticated... Um, Yes, there's, exactly. There's the exactly. I play Civilization uh, and not Crusader so, you know, Kings basically too. taking those concepts and there you go. And actually, from what from what I've seen, just like clicking around, there's yes. even more like there's games that go for even more complexity than that. Um, and you know what? Again, like I'm sure these exist because there's a market for them and people want to play them. But you know, at the end of the day. There's a reason that those are the niche games, whereas your Civs and your Command and Conquerors, or I guess not so much Command and Conquer anymore. It's been a while since there's been anything in that series. But, you know, why 
<laughs> these mainline titles but are the mainline titles and things, the niche titles you know, are like the, the niche, niche titles. titles work because they and, know uh, what sort of audience they're trying to appeal to. That's true. Um, anyways, I should probably think about um, actually wrapping this up and also having breakfast. But uh, <clears throat> anyways, that was... Uh, <clears throat> yes, I'm going to just come... Abstraction is a good thing. It's a good thing in games. <laughs> it's a very, very good thing in games. Um, is it wildly how much is good, how much is too much? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, I guess, you know... I think it's moderation. Yeah, and I mean, like, you can make the argument that, you know, some things abstract away too much, right? Like, um... Oh god. Well, I mean like this is a and and this is kind of the debate in the RPG space a lot of the time, right? Like how much um, is too much? How much is too much, right? Like how much how much can you actually subtract, simplify before you cross the line from, you know, an RPG into what is arguably maybe uh, uh, this is you know, this this seemed to be the debate around the Mass Effect series, right? You know, the first Mass Effect was very much, I think, um, you know, an RPG it had. Uh, and I actually really liked the first Mass Effect. Like, I, I, the only thing I think they needed to change was the cover system. Because they kind of broke it. I, I'd agree with that. Um, but, you know, like with Mass Effect 2, they stripped out and streamlined so much that... And, and, not that Mass Effect 2 wasn't a great game. Like, it was very, very... It was well put together, mechanically sound. Um, the story was grand. You know, like, it was a very fun, good game to play. But I am kind of in the camp that questions whether it can really be called an RPG. Because to me, it just... It's like more like an, it's more like an action game, right? And well, again, well the, the comparison I draw is that, is that Mass Effect 1 feels like an RPG with shooter elements, whereas Mass Effect 2 feels like a shooter with RPG elements. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically what I was trying to say, but less articulately. <laughs> um, right? because, that's what I'm here know, for. In, there you go. Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly it, right? It's like they kind of simplified too much out of the original Mass Effect concept mm -hmm. when they put together, you know, Mass Effect 2. And I mean, again, like it still had a great story and it was still fun as heck to play. But, you know, you noticed then that with Mass Effect 3, they started to bring some of it back. And with Mass Effect Andromeda, like Mass Effect Andromeda, I think kind of represents a return back to the RPG-ish aspect. I, I would still say that, you know, it's definitely not at the level of a Mass Effect 1, but it's <clears throat> more of an RPG than the last two of its predecessors were. Um, and again, like, I don't know, I don't, I, it's hard to, like, say that in a way that doesn't sound like you're completely knocking the game. Mm -hmm. And I guess at some level I'm knocking it a little bit because, you know, it did kind of make that transition from RPG with action to action with bits and pieces of RPG mm -hmm. while still being, you know, very well told stories and very well put together games. Um, but it's like, you know, I was expecting this to be in this genre, but it seems to be kind of more over in that genre. Um, uh -huh. There's a reason it took me so long to play it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But yeah, like, I mean, 
that's an example of, you know, maybe oversimplifying things a little bit too much. And, you know, like granted, like Mass Effect 1, um, the, the inventory management was like, I mean, sure, there was probably room to like streamline the inventory management a little bit, you know, it was menu and list based. And there didn't necessarily seem to be a complete justification for, you know, oh, hey, I have the, you know, like, I'm wearing the scorpion armor. Do do I really need to care that much that, you know, there's like scorpion version one through 10? It's basically <laughs> just more and more advanced armor as you go, right? Like, you know, I mean, you could argue that a lot of that was kind of, it was getting to the point of being cluttery because there wasn't, you know, as much of a clear purpose apart from, oh, okay, well, the, the version four armor is better than the version three armor. <clears throat> but... Um, at the same time, like it was, you know, it did, it was more of an RPG and then that kind of all got abstracted away and replaced with, you know, more of an action game template, which, um, no, that said Mass Effect 2 does tend to come up as more highly regarded than Mass Effect 1. So I don't know what that says about, um, the modern gaming market, but there you go. <sighs> Still, it was, you know, it was... <clears throat> Dragon Age would be another example, right? Like, I, you know, honestly, apart from the fact that, and this is going to be weird for people who've listened to the podcast a long time, um, because of course I've knocked Dragon Age Origins in the past for having absolutely just terrible clunky combat. And I'll stand <laughs> by that. Um, you know, if I could have a game that was basically everything else about it was Dragon Age Origins, but with Dragon Age 2's combat, that would be like the ideal Dragon Age game, right there. <laughs> Platonic ideal of Dragon Age. <laughs> exactly. You know, because same thing. Like, Dragon Age Origins is, in the main, a really excellent RPG. Combat kind of sucks. But the rest of it is just awesome. It's not open world, but it's still, like, you know, the areas that you do get to explore, they're vast, there's a lot of detail to them, there's a lot of engaging NPCs. The story is really great. Um, you know, all the little fiddly bits, the crafting and the inventory management, they're all there. Um, and actually, I think are you like really in it, like they're there and they're there in a very good and measured way. It's not like, um, you know, it's not just like a, a torchlight or a Diablo where it's just a loot fest. And at the same time, it's not, you know, completely absent. You know, you, then, say loot, you say loot fest and my brain just goes to a big musical convention with nothing but loots. <laughs> Speaking of YOLO. <laughs> exactly. I'm too much of a uh, bard myself. There you go. Um, and then again, you know, and then with Dragon Age 2, a lot of that got pared back and stripped out and simplified, oversimplified, right? And I mean, Dragon Age 2 did fix the one big issue that I had with Dragon Age Origins, which is that the combat in Dragon Age 2 was really, really solid uh, and really, really fun versus the standard um, Aurora engine type combat that characterized Dragon Age Origins. You see the dice rolling. Exactly. I've said that so many times. It's just like, wow, this is just terrible. Um, but, you know, a lot of the rest of Dragon Age 2 was, yeah, it was kind of an oversimplification of what was already a really good form that had been established with Dragon Age Origins. And they did all right with Inquisition to kind of bring back 
uh, a lot of that stuff. But it's like, yeah, if I could have just had Dragon Age Origins, but with DA2 combat, and that be DAI, I don't even care then if DAI wouldn't have been open world. It would have just been, you know, like this would have been a great, great game because it abstracts all the, you know, like just the right amount, you know? It's like it's not completely swamping me with inventory management details, but it's also not completely removing them. It's not boring me to death with plotting combat. It's presenting combat in a you know, it's presenting combat in a way that's fun and engaging, but also important for a game where there's still a lot to explore. Brief. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um like if you want to make a fighting game cool let's make a fighting game but otherwise you know uh, and this is maybe i think what reckoning gets right too is the fact that you know there's plenty of combat in reckoning but it's also brief and then you can just get back to wandering around and soaking in the lush world all around you so i don't know anyways i should honestly think about breakfast so well this has been fun i'm gonna have fun cutting this together into an episode but i uh (laughs) Yeah, this is a good way to spend the morning. I agree, I agree. Okay, well, this works as a potential occasional recording time, so that's cool. And uh, we will have to keep that in mind as we go forward. Anyways, you have a good morning and a good day. You as well. All right. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com or if you're feeling a bit braver you can leave us a voice message in one of three places the podcast website our facebook page or on anchor.fm you're also welcome to join us on discord to chat with us and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen if you want to join the ultimate dragons you can do so at udic.org where at you can choose your very own dragon name you can also find the ultimate dragons on facebook and on google plus you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter, or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes, that helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous.